Well, today I thought we'd think about Joseph, as in Joseph, the, uh, <coughs> the husband of Mary. Because, really, uh, as I understand it from looking at the record here in Matthew 1 and 2, he's really presented as almost sort of ideally obedient to, uh, to every command that he gets, and then he sort of fades off the, off the scene. And I, I think we can uh, get quite a few relevant messages uh, for ourselves from, from his example. So uh, let's, uh, let's start off there in, uh, in Matthew 1, uh, verse uh, 18. That, uh, we, we, we just read there that the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. His mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, it's not uh, easy to understand exactly what uh, their uh, understanding of engagement, etc., was, but I would suggest that the coming together there is ultimately of, uh, of getting married. So, as I understand it, when they were about to get married, they were engaged, which was taken uh, very seriously. They had not slept together, but just as they were about to get married, it became apparent that she was pregnant. Now, it's quite a, quite a crisis. Well, I'd say that is in 24, that uh, when the angel appears to him and, and uh, explains to him what's happened, he gets up, he's raised from sleep, and he takes unto him his wife, verse 24. So, uh, and yet he doesn't uh, sleep with her, verse 25. So I think that the taking unto him his wife in 24 really means he, he married her. And it would have been slightly odd for them to have turned up uh, in the first century Palestine in Bethlehem looking for somewhere to sleep if, in fact, they were not, uh, not married. And so I take that as meaning that he was about to get married and then finds that she's pregnant and then he has the vision and he's, uh, he accepts it and then he wakes up from the vision and marries her. Now, verse 19, he was a just man. And the word translated just there really means righteous. And in everything you see about Joseph, you do really get that impression because he uh, took Jesus up to Jerusalem um, to, to circumcise him. They did it all according to the law. Uh, and of course his whole attitude to Mary is extremely righteous and, and uh, spiritually minded and then he was in the habit of going up to Jerusalem uh, to, the, to the temple once a year uh, all the impressions that we get is that he was indeed a, a righteous man and yet this phrase, this Greek phrase a just or a righteous man is exactly the phrase that's used by Matthew at the end of his gospel to describe Jesus as he hung on the cross, that truly this was a righteous man. The references are Matthew 27, verses 19 and 24. You've got it also, Luke 23 and 47. So then, we are all products to some degree of our nurture, particularly, I think, in, in very early childhood. And a lot of the gospel, or all of the gospels, or four of them, uh, have a a way of connecting themes that begin in their first chapter and then recur towards the end of the gospel, forming a kind of uh, 
an inclusio is, uh, I think, the right the right term for it, whereby there's a kind of uh, an introduction and there's an ending, and there's themes in the introduction which are picked up in the ending. And so the idea that Joseph was a just man, and the idea that his adopted son Jesus died as the ultimately just or righteous man, I think could suggest that we are intended to understand by Matthew in the structure of his gospel that the righteousness of Jesus of course it was multifactorial but but to to some degree it was a result of the influence of of Joseph and and his righteous example because you know Jesus was perfect and I know we we can't really analyse how that came about but certainly one factor surely was his nurture by Mary and, and Joseph and so Joseph had an eternal influence in that sense on Jesus that the just man Jesus the truly righteous one who hung upon the cross was to some degree some degree a reflection of the influence of his righteous uh, let's say father adopted father um, Joseph so then it was the duty of every Jewish father to have taught their children the uh, the Shema the uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he would have taught that to Jesus, emphasizing the word one, as the Jewish fathers did, correcting the little Jesus as he stutteringly uh, repeated it. You know how little children stutter and, and make mistakes. And the end result was that Jesus ended up the just man. And incidentally, that term, the just man, the just one, it is used about Jesus now in his heavenly glory. If you want the reference, Acts 22:14, and 1 John 2, verse 1. And he is also, uh, we're told, the, the righteous judge, the righteous one, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. So then, Jesus, in some sense, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The just one, the righteous one, who hung on, on the cross, is the one who was raised from the dead, who is now in heaven, and who will come again at the day of judgment. Now, we as persons are the sum of all the influences upon us, and that, of course, includes the influence of parents. You see this particularly with uh, Mary. If you go through her song of praise that's recorded in Luke and there's certain phrases there there's certain uh, forms of expression and ways of uh, looking at scripture Uh, you can see how Jesus actually repeats some of that phraseology some of those turns of phrase some of that style some of that same uh, allusion to the same scriptures in his later teaching in his ministry and also in his messages to the churches in Revelation so in one sense, who Jesus is as a personality was inevitably affected to some degree by his mother. That is quite normal. He would not have been human unless that were the case. And because God saved Jesus from death, the Jesus who died was the Jesus who rose again. Now, of course, there were changes to his nature. But that's how it will be with us, that you and me, Duncan, And whoever you are, we will be saved. And that means that if I personally am going to be saved, I, as the sum of all the influences that have been upon me, that ended up with this entity called Duncan, will be saved. 
And that means that those who have had some influence upon me will have had an eternal influence. You see this, as I say, very clearly with Jesus. The way that he, he alludes to, to, the, ver- to the, uh, the words of Mary, even, even in his resurrection glory, and certainly later in his mortal life, um, and, and even when he, he is now in heaven and giving messages to the churches. That's another subject about Mary, and I want to focus on Joseph. But what I'm saying is that there was an eternal influence of Joseph upon Jesus, and I don't think that it's uh, inappropriate to to think that the, the just man, Joseph, is unrelated to the just man, Jesus, at the point of his death, his, his final maturity. Now, just a, a note about justice. Joseph was uh, a just man and because, verse 19, he was a just man he did not want to make her a public example but he thought about just quietly divorcing her now, from Joseph's point of view he knew he hadn't slept with her and there she is, she's pregnant so what does he think? she's obviously not been faithful she's slept with someone That's, I mean, obviously that's what he was going to think and yet even when he was under that impression he did not want to publicly expose her, but to divorce her privately. Now don't forget, he had a range of options open to him. Um, according to the law, if he wanted to strictly go by the law of Moses, I mean, within the law there were a number of options here. Numbers 5, he could have uh, gone through the trial of jealousy, put her through the trial of jealousy, although she was actually pregnant, so it wasn't a, a suspicion even. Uh, he could have stoned her, or had her stoned, publicly shamed her, sought compensation from the uh, the guy who he assumed was was guilty, uh, or divorced her. And so, out of all those options, he chose to divorce her privately. Now, love, and one Corinthians thirteen is very clear about this. Love doesn't sort of act like nothing ever happened love covers sin in the same way as the atonement which we have each experienced from God is a covering of our sins and so that is why gossip and talking to other people about other people's sin even if that sin is known about and is not conjecture but is actual and real this is not the Spirit of Christ, because the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God is to cover over sin. Not to talk about it to others, but to try to cover it. Not cover it up in the, in the way that is often done, uh, to, in a damaging way to others. But in, some, in a case like this, to just not make a deal about it. Now this was when a man was angry, because I mean there would have been an emotion of anger in Joseph when he found this out. Of course he was angry. And yet he didn't want to publicly expose her. Now, that is justice. That is justice. And you could have argued that justice, legal justice, was to do all sorts of horrible things to her and publicly disgrace her and the rest of it. But, in fact, the justice, as in the righteousness of God, is not like that at all. Verse 20, while he thought about these things, the angel appeared to him in a dream. And I think you see there how God confirms us in the way in which we wish to go. He was meditating, trying to be spiritually minded about something, and then there's the intervention of God. 
And this is how it is so often, that we being in the way, as it were, God directs us further down that path. Now, really, Joseph uh, is continually uh, comforted, fear not. He's got it there in verse 20, don't fear to take unto you Mary your wife, because the, the child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. It was obviously a, a pretty frightening kind of thing, and the, the, the easier thing to do would have been just to walk away from the whole thing, and just throw it all in and say, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know who's guilty or not guilty, but you don't get pregnant uh, by anything other than a, a bloke, you know? But he doesn't do that. He hangs in there, and he tries to go God's way. I think a lot of us would have been tempted to just walk away, to say, look here, I, I can't take this. I don't know what's going on. I didn't do anything wrong, for crying out loud, like, I'm out of here. But there was more to Joseph than that. He hung in there, and he didn't just throw the towel in. What's great, I think, about him is that here in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew, there's three angelic appearances to him. And each time, he just responds immediately um, it's, his obedience is really emphasized I mean for example uh, he's told in, in verse 21 that you shall call his name Jesus Joseph was to name the child in verse 25 uh, she brings forth Jesus and he that's Joseph calls his name Jesus his obedience is emphasized then you got it in chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 where um, then verse uh, 20, uh, the angel says, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Verse 21, And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Arise and go into the land of Israel. Arise, he arose, and he came into the land of Israel. The, uh, the rubric of the whole thing the, is to emphasize his automatic, not automatic, but his immediate uh, obedience. And by the way, I think immediacy of response is a good characteristic amongst God's people. I always think of Rebecca when uh, Isaac's servant uh, comes to, to him and, and says, comes to her and says, you know, come away and marry Isaac. And her family say, well, why don't you just hang around for ten days? And she, she said, no, I will go. I will go. It's that immediacy of response. I mean, this is, in a sense, the immediacy of love, I, I think, the urgency of love, that if we love the Lord and we perceive what he wants, you don't hang around, you do it. And it's that pro procrastination, that endless delay, that worrying and thinking about this, that, or the other, which is, I think, unfortunately, uh, very often an excuse for our own lack of faith, our own lack of devotion. So that, that's something to, to take with us again from Joseph, as it is for many Bible characters, really, to, uh, to respond immediately. And these things he was asked to respond to were pretty big things. I mean, to emigrate, to uh, go and just go live in another country. And, you know, he comes back and works as a carpenter, and that's translating this Greek word tekton, and it's been argued, and I, I don't know to what degree this is true, but it's been argued that tecton uh, doesn't actually mean someone who works with wood, but it's, um, it's really a, a kind of a, a manual labourer that was without land. And apparently there was a whole class of people uh, called tecton. Uh, 
these are people who for whatever reason had lost their land and so they didn't have any land they worked as basically builders carpenters dogs bodies etc and you think well if that is so then how come that Jesus uh, and Joseph or Joseph uh, lost his land or didn't have any land and I guess emigrating to another country for a couple of years suddenly and quickly just clearing off and then turning back up uh, a few years later yes that is uh, that's a way to lose your land that's for sure because he just got up and went immediately so maybe he paid a price for his immediacy of response just as we do if we feel we are led sometimes to do something, it could be to buy something, it could be to uh, to do something for other people that ends up expensive in terms of either money or resources or time or whatever, but you know that was always the right thing, that was always the right decision, definitely, always, because it was for the Lord, um, and because he led us there. So then... <clears throat> All the way through the uh, the record, particularly here in, the, in in Matthew, it almost seems to purposefully write Joseph out of it. Um, of course, he was present in the manger at the inn, uh, but the, the focus is on the shepherds and the wise men. They come to the mother and child, not to not to Joseph. Um, you, you see that I think in let's just have a look there at chapter 2 verse uh, <clears throat> verse 11 when they were coming to the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and say they saw the young child with Mary his mother and Joseph no they saw the young child with Mary his mother Joseph is kind of out of it very much and so he remains out of it um, all the way through, really, um, the the uh, the ministry of Jesus, and of course, people have assumed that he died, and that there is a, a kind of Catholic tradition about that. But I personally somewhat doubt that. Well, I more than doubt it. I doubt it on the basis of John 6:42, where reasonably well into the ministry of Jesus, the people say, "Well, who is this uh, Jesus, whose father and mother we know?" Now. Apparently, the the Greek construction there, whose father and mother we know, the, uh, the the tense that's used there, really implies we know them now, not just ah yeah I remember his mum and dad, uh, but we know them now. They're here. That, that that was the idea. So then Joseph uh, was alive, I think, uh, well suddenly well into the ministry of Jesus, and yet you don't hear anything about him now. You and the fact they say whose father and mother we know. I, uh, again, would... I mean, it is an implication of the Greek text, and it, admittedly it's not 100% solid, but I would take that as meaning that they were together as a couple. Uh, we know them right now. Yes, that couple that live in that house number two down the lane, uh, just by the, uh, the gas station or, or whatever. Uh, I think that that is the impression that I take from the Greek of John 6.42. So I, I don't think that they separated or that he disappeared or that he died. I think he was around. And of course there were other children that Mary had by, by Joseph, presumably. Now, <clears throat> now, 
for victims of crucifixion, it was normal that it was the father, if he were alive, who would take responsibility for the body. But there's a strange twist here, because, as I've said, I think there's reason to think Joseph was around. But it was another Joseph, who oddly enough, in Luke 23:50, is also described as a just man, using the very same Greek phrase that we've just read here in Matthew 1.19 about Joseph being a just man. It was another Joseph, described also as a just man, Joseph of Arimathea, who took charge and responsibility for the body. Now there's another cruel, almost cruel twist of circumstance, that when he rises from the dead, you would really have expected that he might have revealed himself, first of all, to his mother, Mary. Because Mary was, after all, the only person who, I suppose, 101% knew, at least knew at the time, let's say, that this was a virgin birth. I mean, I, I guess everybody else at the time had their raised eyebrows and their questions in their minds. Maybe... Uh, I, I don't know, may, maybe Elizabeth didn't, uh, Hannah, uh, sorry, uh, Elizabeth, um, I, I don't know, but whatever. You would have thought that he really would have um, somehow been close to his mother. But in fact, all through the ministry, you see a kind of separation, a conscious separation from his side uh, towards his mother. And when he rises from the dead, he does not reveal himself to Mary, his mother, but to another Mary, Magdalene. Now, it seems to me that this replacal of replacement of Joseph and Mary by another Joseph and Mary uh, is really consciously done, and is uh, done, I think, to show that really his uh, physical family now really did not have any any ultimate spiritual significance and that through his death and resurrection a new spiritual family had been formed and I think really some of his last mortal words were to that effect when he says to uh, to Mary behold your son and I always find that so tragic that there she was standing at the cross with her naked son uh, not very far from her really you know, they could get something to drink to him with a hyssop, which is at the most 50 centimetres long, so he was not far above the ground. Um, and there she was standing there with John, and Jesus says, Woman, behold your son. And she would have thought, like he's saying, Mum, well, look at me here. And of course, that wasn't his intention. <clears throat> he was saying, Woman, I'm not your son anymore. He, and maybe he beckoned, or somehow motioned with his eyes. He, that is John. He's your son. And he you know, says to John, basically, look, this is your mother. So it's as if at the very end he cuts off from Mary in, in any human sense, which, I mean, that's a very hard part of the cross to break with your, with your mother, with, with, with your physical family. It's very, very difficult if we are called to do it, not everyone is called to do it, but uh, we are called, in whatever context, I think, to, to give up some relationships. I think that is, for most people, that is a part of their sharing in the cross of Jesus. So, 
humanly speaking, I, I said it's all a bit of a cruel twist, because Joseph, when we're thinking about Joseph here, Joseph would have thought, look, it was me that raised that child, it was me that paid that little bill to uh, sleep in the manger at the inn, it was me who uh, stuck with Mary, it was me who raised Jesus, it was me who taught him uh, when he was little about God, and I'm not recognised in all this. I don't even get a mention. And you know, in that, we suddenly plug right into our lives today. Because it seems to me that we all suffer terribly because we so want to be recognised. We want to be appreciated. And when you're young, you kind of realise that you haven't done anything much to earn any recognition or appreciation. And so you work and you study and you try to build everything up. And then you go through the sort of middle part of your life where you're kind of slogging away, doing it all. And again, you feel, well, okay, so I'm building this. I'm just in the building stage still. No recognition at that point. And then you come to old age and you look back and think, well, everybody I did anything for has sort of forgotten what, what I did for them. Or they're dead or they're, I don't know, moved on, don't know where they are. And so there is this terrible sense of, I am not appreciated. People think, well, I worked all my career in that company, making the boss rich. It was me that built that company up. Actually, it was me that did this. It was me that worked hard. And I didn't get any appreciation or nothing. It was me that raised the kids. It was me that cleared up after the babies when they puked over the carpet. It was me when they were older, when they had a cat and a dog that, I don't know, puked on the carpet. It was me that did it, that cleaned it up. It was me, it was me. And they don't even understand that. They don't appreciate that. And it is this chronic lack of appreciation, this demand for recognition, which I think leads people to have affairs, to, to mess up in their life, midlife crises, and all, all kinds of shortcuts to, to glory. And straight away, I think we see a connection here with Joseph and Mary, particularly, I think, with Joseph. And as I say, all that you read about Joseph, all that is recorded about him, is absolutely ideal. His immediate obedience to things that were very, very difficult to be obedient to. His very strong belief in God's word. Because, I mean, unless he believed that this was the word of God that he was receiving, he wouldn't have wouldn't have done it at all. And I even wonder, you just drop him back there for a minute to Matthew 1, when he's first told all this by the angel, that um, uh, you're going to call her son uh, Jesus, he's going to save his people from their sins. In Matthew 1.22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken uh, by the Lord, uh, by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin should be with a child, etc. I even wonder if 22 and 23 are actually part of the words of the angel, saying to him, Look here, the prophecy of Isaiah is going to be fulfilled through this child. Do you understand? So I wonder if 22 and 23 aren't so much Matthew's uh, sort of comment, but actually what was said to to Joseph, because later on, as I say, in, uh, both here and in chapter 2 of Matthew, you see him so respectful to God's word. God says, do this, and he does it. And so, it probably is so in your life, uh, because it's so, I think, in every human life, that there we are, ready and open to God, and we try to do what he says and what he wants, and we play our part, more or less, faithfully, 
and yet with no recognition, apparently. With no appreciation, apparently. And you know, that is how it must be. I mean, this is the whole point, I think, of the Sermon on the Mount. Woe to you if you get all that stuff, because you're not going to get it in the future. And here we're forced to really believe or not believe the fact that God keeps a record. That all our lives are, in a symbolic sense, figurative sense rather, written in his book. That he is aware, and he remembers, and he knows all these things. And the wonder of the Day of Judgment is that there will be a recompense, and that that recompense will be eternal. And it seems to me that Joseph will have a huge recompense, because all we read about him here is so positive, and then there's nothing, absolutely nothing, and yet he's sort of still around, and he's a bit like Mary, I, I guess. But that's, I think you could argue there's a few negative things about Mary in, in the course of the ministry that, that occur. But uh, with Joseph, you don't get that. And yet God noticed what he did. Just as when you read the record of the kings of Israel, you see that God noticed what they did. And God, in the final kind of algorithm of divine judgment, sort of took it all and takes it all into account. And that, I think, is the huge comfort that we can take from Joseph. That we can take from the whole concept of a future judgment. And the simple fact that God knows and God, as it were, notes down. That no longer is there that desperate, almost pathetic, crying out for appreciation, for recognition of what we have done in this life. At the hands of men and the eyes of, in the eyes of men. No, you didn't need all that. In fact, if you get all that, you're not going to get it in the day to come. And that is why I think we can look forward to the Day of Judgment, like David did. You know, he sung psalms looking forward to it, so excited that Judgment Day was coming. And I think that is what we look forward to, because then finally, how we have lived, and what we have gone through and what we have done for the Lord, will then have its kind of eternal consequence. <laughs>